All right, so I thought about it, and it seemed like a really weird thing to announce my new book on my own podcast. Then I thought about it a little bit more, and I thought, well, actually, it's even weirder if I don't announce my new book on my own podcast. I mean, where else am I supposed to do it? Like a crowded restaurant? That would be weird. So yes, I have a new book out. It's called The Adventure Teen All-Stars. It came out on Halloween. And rather than tell you what it's about, I'll just say this. It's like if the cast of Scooby-Doo and Buffy the Vampire Slayer met inside of a Fishbone song. There are secret meetings in the backs of punk clubs, trolls, high school parties, scuba diving, vampires, beach volleyball tournaments, and there's even a romance brewing in between all the cocaine and swim practice. Oh, and I feel I can safely say it's the best book of the year with a water demon in it. Find me another. You can buy The Adventure Teen All-Stars anywhere you get books. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Apple, whatever. Your best bet, go to your local indie bookstore. They'll hook you up. They always do. And let me hook you up right now with a great chat. No water demons in this conversation, but we have plenty of fun anyway. Can't wait for you to hear this one. This is a great chat. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. It probably started with that boy when I was 14. I let him touch me, then he tried to bring me shame. I laughed aloud with him, my tears went unseen. But I learned to claim what's mine, including my own name And you ain't ever gonna bring me down And if you try, you can try without me Come as far and I won't turn around Or say goodbye to what's right about me No, you ain't ever gonna bring me down I know my mind would be blind to doubt me Sometimes I dress up like a That is the music of my guest today on the program, Jess Klein. Let me tell you a little bit about Jess Klein. Over the course of her career, the New York-born Jess Klein has put out nearly 15 perfect albums. From her Ryko Disc debut, Draw Them Near, in 2000, to other winning entries like 2006's City Garden and 2014's Learning Faith, Klein has demonstrated over and over again that she's a singer-songwriter of tremendous strength and heart. She's one of those natural talents who's blessed with a natural penchant to write hook-filled songs with burning emotional centers and big, scruffy hearts. Her new album, When We Rise, is another fabulous entry into her already brilliant discography, redolent with hope, resolve, and stability in a world that doesn't seem to stop shaking. When We Rise is a rousing call to arms. From the defiant You're Never Gonna Break Me, which you just heard, to the stirring Safe Harbor, this album is a blast of sonic comfort that's fiery, affecting, and reviving. And this is a cool conversation. So here we go. Me and Jess Klein having a chat right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. some gaps and that's really hard like I don't it makes me really uncomfortable to not have to not like be in the flow with it I mean I have a pretty strong writing practice like I try and write every day even if it's just journaling um but I don't like it when I'm sort of at the beginning of writing a new album and I can tell that I'm just like trying to dig through a bunch of layers of just crappy stuff before I can get to anything real but that's kind of part of how it works 
<laughs> I mean, that whole, the digging through the crappy stuff is, is an essential part of the process. Yeah. My experience, it's like, it's almost like, I feel like it's sort of like training to run a marathon. Like you have to kind of like get your muscles warmed up and then, and I don't know, it's a weird mixed metaphor, but you have to just start peeling away layers until you're kind of like in motion with the, with the technique and you get a good idea. And then it kind of like comes together in a more impactful way. I had your old pal, Aaron was on the show about a year or two ago. Oh, cool. Yeah. And she said this really cool thing where she was like at, at, I think it was like six o'clock or five o'clock. I can't remember. She was like, business is closed. I don't respond to emails after a certain time. I think of it as like a job and it really keeps her well boundaried is what she was saying. Um, Yeah. Are you like that with your, with your, what is your own position on, on that whole thing? Because I know sometimes creativity can happen at any time. So do you, how do you compartmentalize all those spots? I try, I'm trying actually in general to just do less every day, (laughs) just do less of busy work or things that, I mean, some, some things have to get done, but just to just provide myself more space in general so that if I have an idea, then I'm going to have, I can move things around and have half an hour or 40 minutes to, to feel it out and not feel like I'm just, you know, beholden to some to-do list that doesn't matter. It's never going to matter to me as much as the creativity. So yeah, just trying to like scale back um, the busy work. Because I remember when you were on Ryko, which is, it had to have been 99, 2000, somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So the artist was still not doing the busy work, the admin yeah. stuff that you have to do yeah. now, right? Has has that shifted for you? Yeah. I mean, I kind of, I've hired people on and off, you know, and sometimes that makes things easier. And sometimes it just means me having to like manage someone else doing the thing <laughs> that would take me five minutes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I feel like I've had to kind of learn how to do everything and some of it I've learned to enjoy and some of it I still wish I could hand to someone, but I do feel like, I do feel grateful for feeling in control of what the messaging is around my work. And I don't think, I think, I don't, I mean, when I was first starting out and I was on Ryko and everything, um, you know, I just didn't have any concept of what would I choose? How would I choose to be marketed or whatever? I mean, they did a great job. I was very lucky, but um, I do feel kind of glad to be like, kind of try to see it all as part of my personality, my creative process, you know, everything that I do and put out, that's part of me. So it kind of, at least I can take ownership of it and feel like, well, this is the the whole flawed human. <laughs> Even <laughs> if I'm doing something boring, it's like, but I'm doing it to serve the art. So that must be kind of liberating. Yeah, actually it does feel liberating. I mean, my experience has been, you know, sometimes, I don't know, I've ha- I've kind of had more luck finding um, creative collaborators that I can stick with for a long time than industry business people. I think I'm sure largely because it's such a crazy business. <laughs> and so yeah. it's like really hard to hold on to anything. Um, for any of us, I mean, <clears throat> including the people who want to help. In the old days when you felt maybe a little bit misrepresented, not misrepresented, but maybe not the vision that you would have chosen for yourself, did you feel that you could say something or did you feel the machine was too big to even bother to say anything? Um, I don't, you know, I don't know that I would say that anyone misrepresented me too badly. I just think that I didn't know who I was you know I didn't right. I hadn't been forced to really figure it out and um I think that's probably a more honest answer I was just kind of like didn't have the the depth of understanding of the world to ask for something different so I mean there, there I mean actually now that now that I think about it I can think of one specific time when I called a meeting with this wasn't with Ryko but with another label I was with and they acted kind of annoyed that I wanted to 
understand what their business plan was. <laughs> and it was just like, well, aren't I your client? Like, what what is the deal here? So yeah, I, I don't miss that for sure. It's a perfectly reasonable question to ask too. <laughs> yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Right? I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. I think that, that you know, I'm 53 and I'm, I'm learning two things. I'm learning how to say no, which is like, finally. And I'm learning how that advocating for yourself is a really important thing to be doing. And it took me so long to get here. Um, was it was it hard for you to speak up in the old days? Do you feel it's easier now to say no to things? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was really... I think I just felt, I felt like, well, I probably am really naive. Like, uh, how, am I, how am I supposed to know if I can trust my, my gut feeling about anything? Like these people have been in the business longer than me. And now I'm like, nope, <laughs> as long as anyone. And I know what I want and I know what doesn't work for me. So uh, yeah, I think it's, it's such a, oh God, it's like such a key life skill. And I wish that, um, you know, I feel like people are get generally speaking are gaining like a, a better understanding of like mental health in some ways now and the idea of boundaries, but yeah, I feel, I feel much stronger and it, it definitely took me till recent years to be able to say no and know what I wanted and advocate for myself. I always think about that, what Tony Bennett said in that Amy Winehouse documentary, he said like something like, if you live long enough, you start to get better at it. <laughs> You just like start figuring stuff out. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so true. Um, yeah. <laughs> is your um is your creative discipline? Have you always been somebody who was very not regimented, but who knew how to answer the creative impulse? Um, where if you felt a song tugging at you, you knew how to excuse yourself from the dinner party, or I don't know where you were. Yeah. Where you were. Um, and 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 gave it the the attention it deserved. I think so. I feel like I've always been pretty driven by a need to express myself and from the beginning of my creative writing and songwriting practice it was really clear to me that this was like a safe place where any where anything could go and be safely expressed, you know, whether or not it got heard publicly. So I think so. I think that I've always had a, a pretty good discipline around that. I mean, I remember someone telling me like a really long time ago, like that their number one writing tip was like, when you have an idea, like sit down with it, then like get, get as much out of it when the, when, you know, strike while the iron is hot. And um, yeah, I feel like I've, I've always been pretty good at that. This record feels so much like a song cycle. Like it feels like a beginning, a middle, and an end. It feels yeah. like uh, like you know the albums that we grew up listening to. It feels like almost novelistic, um, oh. <laughs> you know. And it's sequenced perfectly. I just I love how the song uh, order is so great. Um, like the opener is so strong, and the closer is so perfect. And was that something that you labored with in terms of, or did it, or did the sequence present itself pretty resolutely? Um, I actually brought it to my husband, who's very good at sequencing, and he had a really clear sense of how to do that. So that's like all credit to him. Like I, he 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 had that kind of concept of like it. You since when we rise is like also the title track. It's like a good thesis statement. And then you kind of like build the set out from there. Was he um, was he in bands? I was trying to figure out if I knew his work. Yeah, he's a songwriter and he had a band in New Jersey called the Dirty Doves. And um, he's he's I mean, he still produces his own his own albums. He's he's brilliant. Mike Jim is his name. It, it makes sense for an artist to have an artistic house, right? It's like better than being if you're married to a stockbroker, it wouldn't make a ton of sense. <laughs> no. <laughs> It wouldn't. We wouldn't have a lot to talk about, probably. Right. Not to. I don't know. I don't want to paint all stockbrokers with like a <laughs> such a wide brush, but yeah. Yeah, all yeah. you guitar playing <laughs> uh, stockbrokers out there were sorry. <laughs> um, when you when you bring a song to him, just to run it by him, because I imagine it's fun to have for the editing process or for the share, just for the pure sharing process. 
at what how skeletal is a song that you'll present to him do you wait till it's fleshed out or do you have a really cool sketch and you want to show the sketch or is that too soon um I don't usually show him my songs while I'm working on them I usually only do that with my producer um unless I'm part of uh like a songwriting circle where we're all doing that um he's shown me some songs in progress which I thought was really cool but I feel kind of uh protective of what I'm trying to say before I can get it fully formed it just kind of needs to only exist with me and like my producer you know like just because we have that's our thing that we do together so um yeah I I wouldn't normally bring us a half-finished song because I'm I'm too worried of like um losing track of my own train of thought with it and having it become you know some uh, someone else's idea or someone else's song is it hard sometimes if you have something you're super excited about and you're like I really want to share this one but Uh, (laughs) um I don't know that's a good question I don't I don't know I just I've just like gotten into such a groove of bringing them to my producer just because yeah we've just had that that um relationship for like my with my producer for like 15 years that's been how we worked so I'm like I have somewhere I can take it (laughs) <laughs> that's that's good for me until it's like for public Mike Mike hears it when it's like for public consumption <laughs> is my sense of you is that you are a really good collaborator whether it's voices on the verge or like you're saying with your longtime producer are you somebody who work who works well with others like we say for <laughs> preschool are you are you somebody who you think collaboration is a strong suit because not everyone's great at collaborating yeah I mean that's such a I feel like it really depends like I feel like I do love collaborating and also you know I have an artist's ego like it it really has there really has to be something in it for me (laughs) like it's it's one thing to take it to my producer who is trying to like make me sound great (laughs) you know I I don't I'm it and and I also I mean I love I I love to be part of other people's projects but in terms of like my top priorities um I do find collaboration to be very important in terms of how it supports me in fleshing out what I'm trying to say and and expressing myself I don't know it would be hard for me to know I couldn't probably consistently play like a minor role in someone else's project yeah because Voices on the Verge was you know 20 years ago or so right like yeah Um, yeah and that was a heavily collaborative project that's I loved that that was so cool that you guys did that yeah yeah I loved it too and you you got your still pals with everybody um I'm most in touch with Aaron I don't I'm not I haven't spoken to Ro- uh, to Rose like once in a while here and there and Beth, I don't know. I'm like, we haven't spoken to forever, but I think she's maybe a little bit of a hermit. So I don't think yeah. it personally. Yeah. It took me a really long time to get into this, but I'm kind of obsessed with dub music now. I'm like, oh, yeah. dub. like I got, I just got into it over the summer and there's no, the heptones were like my way in and now I, there's no getting out of it. I love it. Uh, yeah. But it sounds like you were on it pretty early on in your life. I just I was just curious about that, like where that came from and how, if that shows up in your music at all as a, as like a rhythmic influence or anything. Mm, um, well, I don't know. I mean, I lived in, in Kingston, Jamaica, um, for most of a year. I got to go there as a student and, um, I think I got interested in dub poets because, it was like telling a story with music in the background and a beat. I, I don't really know. I mean, so, but yeah, I mean, uh, I think that it comes through a little in a song I have called Soda Water, which was on an album called Strawberry Lover. It has a reggae beat, but. um, I love that song. Thank you. Um, you know, when I, uh, the first performance, first like public performance I ever gave was in Kingston, Jamaica at this weekly session, which was a place called the House of Leo. It was just like a performance space. And some of the performers there were dub poets. And I think 
I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's in me somewhere. Maybe it's not. It just always seemed like this is just insanely cool to have like kind of jazz and beats behind you while you're like, yeah. Because did you go like a study abroad, like a junior year kind of thing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where yeah. was college for you? I went to Hamilton College. It's in um, upstate New York. Yeah. And so yeah. then, and so Dub just sort of like rang your bell. Like it just yeah. with you. Yeah, I think, well, I think like I just kind of got, I was thinking about this yesterday, actually. Um, I wound up, you know, kind of getting into a couple of Dub poets and stuff because I was, doing I was while I was there I was writing a thesis about uh Jamaican you know female Jamaican artists and dub poets and um I I ran into this stranger on the street because I was trying to find this record store and he like showed me where the record store is and then there it was like this is a weird rambling story but the way it worked was you would tell them what you wanted to buy and they would make a cassette recording of the vinyl <laughs> and so like but they you know they hooked me up with all this cool stuff like Okuonora and Munaburuka and stuff and then um that same gentleman whose name I can't even remember which is so crazy but he's the one who said you should audition for this session and then they gave me like a guest slot and so it just sort of was around me at the birth of my performance performance career um and yeah I don't know strange serendipity was pretty cool I love that it was like tell us what you want and we'll tape it for you yeah that's great that's so cool yeah that's, like, I, yeah. that's how I, I had my friends do that for me in high school yeah yeah you know? it worked. I mean it worked he gave me a bunch of cassettes I was not like I was gonna have somewhere to play vinyl so <laughs> right do you still yeah. listen to that kind of music um today um, I have, I mean, I haven't listened to dub poetry in a while, actually. I should, I should get back into it. When the rent was late and the bills piled high and the ceiling was leaking again. you lent him and you had to learn to count to ten in a world of blurry lines broken rules thin times somehow you still held aids cause you could work it out with a little bit of wine mondays at annie's place never really thought i would fit anywhere on the outside looking in Welcome to me like a runaway child 
this album were you was there anything left on the cutting room floor because it feels so tight and it feels so um perfectly crafted i'm always curious if there was anything that you didn't include or was this the song cycle that emerged from that period there were there were probably five or six songs that we kind of tried and then left behind um and there is one song that we produced and that'll just come out separately it just didn't seem to fit with the other songs um but um, no, we kind of, it's funny that you said that about the title track, When We Rise, being so strong, because we literally, we were like really racking our brains with that one. It was not sounding good. And then like, literally like an hour before I left to get on the plane to fly back from Austin to home, we, something clicked and we're like, oh my God, we got, we got it. Like it, it fell into place but yeah we kind of I mean we had we worked in the studio on this stuff for a good year like going back and forth and trying to talk about stuff over zoom and then I'd go back and we'd tweak stuff um and so it's I feel yeah I don't know if I've ever had a, an album that sounds like this like those songs are really realized <laughs> like everything's been very fully like um yeah I'm really I'm really proud of that and grateful I mean I Mark is just like amazing producer but we, we did it was it was it was very collaborative because um there was like an ex that added added challenge of trying to like figure stuff out over zoom which neither of us were used to because I used to, I used to live there and so I'd just go to the studio and we just you know fire off ideas and try them um so I had to really learn how to like advocate for my ideas in a new way and I think so did he because we were just like dealing with this, you know, gap of like space and technology. Um, yeah, sorry again. Last kind of last track of your question. No, no, because your because your your last album was two thousand nineteen, right? Yeah, yeah, right. So it's all. I mean, we're talking like you know a couple of years between albums. Yeah. So I, I imagine yeah. that these songs you were you were they were coming to you in a very specific way. Yeah, I I started writing for When We Rise, uh, like kind of right at the beginning of the pandemic. And then I reached out to Mark um, pretty early on because I think I just, it was like, I knew he would, I, I didn't feel like I had any perspective at all. None of us did. It was like during the lockdown. Um, and I knew that he was kind of like my best bet for giving me feedback on the songs and being able to like envision what they could actually sound like and what was working and what wasn't. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I think I wrote for like a year and then we, and then we started, but some of, some of them are co-written. So we worked on that for like a year and then we started putting them on tape. Can you hear the tension of the pandemic in the songs? Yeah, uh, some of them like overcome. Mm, <laughs> for yeah. Sure. Um, but all you know other ones like I just and and also I think in some ways all falls down but uh, oh wait yeah yeah um but I also like intentionally we both intentionally wanted it to be a fun album <laughs> to listen to like I didn't want to have like just a bunch of like songs about this terrible moment so we really tried to intentionally look at what's gonna still feel good like what's gonna feel good down the line like what are some universal themes that we can go to and yeah are you pretty hard on yourself are you like <laughs> yeah I guess <laughs> you laughed instantly when I asked you that <laughs> yeah I don't know I'm just very it's like my at my idea about asking people to listen to my songs is that that if I'm going to ask someone to listen to something like it better be something that m moves me if I you know if I'm going to ask them to take the time to listen to this so 
you know, I don't want to be just tossing stuff off and asking someone to listen to it because I think like everything that comes out of my mouth is like brilliant. I really don't, you know, so um, yeah, so in that way, I'm just like very, um, and I'm sure Mark would say that I'm, I just, I had a, I, had a, I can be very nitpicky. <laughs> It just has to feel right. I feel like the challenge in life is to be a better person every day. And I think as an artist, to be a better version of the artist every day as well. And I think you're a really good example of that where I love all your work, but it just keeps getting better, which seems like impossibly executed. It's incredible. Thank you. (laughs) I think for me, aging has been a lot about like, just letting go of whatever I'm not and also having faith that whatever process I'm going through it's a human process and so there's going to be something in there that's gonna speak to people yeah yeah um it's like hopefully like increased humility and increased self-confidence you know in equal measures. Increased humility seems easier as we get older. That seems like an easier thing to manage. Mm. Um, And also the shedding of the ego. You mentioned ego before. Um, Ego seems to be exclusive to being young. Um, Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, It feels nice to kind of age out of the ego a little bit for me. Yeah. How's it been for you with with the whole ego and getting older? I mean, um, I'd like to be like, oh, this is so great. But, you know, there I have my days when I just want what I want, even if I can't have it. But um, generally speaking, I think it's done me a lot of favors to age out of my ego a little bit and see myself as fallible and not expect the world to, you know, serve me in some way you know it's like yeah 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 I find that my feelings don't get hurt the way they used to now that yeah you know yeah for yeah totally um yeah I don't kind of have the same attachment to what like xyz I mean I I'm saying this but I felt every time I put out an album it feels like I'm stepping off a cliff but at the same time there's like a parallel understanding that if I really showed up and gave it my all, then, then I did do my job. Like, that's it. It's going to speak to who it speaks to. And that's like, that's its own. Like my husband and I were talking about how, like, if you do the hard work, you did do a good job. Like you showed up, like that's the success, you know, that's the success. Yeah. I agree with that. I absolutely agree with that. When you were growing up, were your parents supportive of making a foray into the arts? Was that something that they... <laughs> um, you know, I think my dad was kind of like naively supportive of it. And my mom was like a realist was like, what the fuck? And she never said like, what the fuck do you think you're doing? But I think like, she's a very practical woman. And I think she's probably like, oh, this is not a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, like, God bless both of them. And my dad, my dad is the one who who gave me my first guitar. I mean, he wasn't, it was his guitar that he kind of gave up on. But um, they both, my mom was very, like instrumental in exposing me to a ton of music like theater dance like called great restaurants like she made it clear to me that that's like an important part of life like I don't know if that means she was so comfortable with like her daughter trying to make a living doing that stuff but but she definitely is the person who showed me like you know this isn't this is like an essential part of living like the arts are that's part of life that's a really important part of life um and my dad was just kind of I don't know yeah I think he he I think maybe he came from like a more privileged background so it's easier for him to be like yeah like go for it you know whatever he didn't have the same like maybe super realistic view of 
the world and stuff. Were either one of them in the arts at all? No, not. I mean, my mom, uh, my mom was in marketing, in advertising marketing. Um, so she worked with a lot of creative people, but she wasn't. I mean, she actually is very creative. Um, like she is very creative, but she didn't like try and do that for a career or anything. And my dad wasn't. He wasn't like, yeah, he wasn't. But you grew up in Rochester, so you were you were near, you were close to everything cool. Yeah, yeah, it was a cool place. I really, like, I appreciate having grown up there. I think there's something about upstate New York where it's kind of like down to earth, but also you get access to all sorts of cool cultural events. Are you by nature, I, I'm just curious, like if you're competitive, so do you pay attention to what's going on out there in the in the in the space that you're creating can you listen to stuff and go oh that person's crushing it this is amazing or is there a little competitive fire with you where you go oh, i got to uh i'm you know i think my my competitiveness comes out when i when i feel like someone's doing really well and they haven't they're not like i don't like their art that sounds oh. so strange if okay. i if i respect what they are creating that's exciting to me. That's like, oh my God, yes, this person really dug into their soul and now they're getting the props they deserve. It's harder for me if I think like this person kind of phoned it in. Like, <laughs> um, but you know, generally speaking, I've been I've been doing a lot with um I've been doing this kind of program that's about like rewriting like negative uh self-worth beliefs. It's like uses like um meditation guided meditations and sound waves and stuff and um part of the idea there is that if someone is like triggering your jealousy or envy they can be like what's called they can actually expit they're, they're showing you something that you want so they're actually helping you out they're not like taking something away from you they're showing you something in you really wants to try and have this also and that's actually a gift so that's been really, um, really eye-opening because I think I did struggle with envy for a long time and I it wasn't like something I would necessarily express publicly, but um, that was a hard one for me. But it's been helpful to have that reframe like, oh, well, this is just, they're showing me an example of something I want. Why would, okay, great. They're, they're helping me out, you know. What a cool spin on, yeah. on that. Yeah. Because yeah. that seems survivable. Right. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's this amazing, um, they're on Instagram and they're called to be magnetic. It's like a whole series of like, it's a whole course courses that you can do. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm on totally into that. I love that. Cause I imagine, I always think there has to be a competitive. I, I, I think being competitive is probably good. Um, yeah. you know, like, you can be inspired by someone in a competitive way that forces you to kind of up your game or change your approach or. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Cause they're, ex they're like expanding your sense of what's possible for you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Just out yeah. of curiosity, how did Amy Winehouse register with you? Was that somebody whose work you, you liked at the time? Was that. Yeah. Um, I mean, God, what a voice. Like, yeah, I thought she was amazing. Here's why I asked. Because it seems to me that I would have thought that more people would have attempted to do what she was doing with language, with beats. Um, I thought there'd be a lot of Evie Winehouse uh, imitators. And I'm surprised mm. that there aren't. And I wonder if that's just because her life is so short. Um, but, you know, there were a lot of like Nirvana imitators too. I'm just surprised that she didn't have a bigger influence because I thought she was so... Marvel. Yeah, she was so unique. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why that is. That's a good question. I feel like from the beginning, like the way she was marketed was like this girl's in this girl's in trouble. She's got like so many problems and blah blah blah. And I don't know if that was, you know, I, I don't know how that played into her artistic influence or not, but I feel like they they painted her as tragic, like from the beginning which is, I don't know, doesn't seem fair, but <clears throat> yeah. No, then you end up fulfilling the the prophecy that was laid out for you, which is yeah. really unfortunate. Yeah. You have 
And also, I'm curious because Amy Winehouse should never have played to 100,000 people at Glastonbury. Like, that's the wrong thing. She's a nightclub singer and she should have stayed, you know, in nightclubs. You've played to 70,000 people before. You've played to huge crowds. What is your sweet spot in terms of reaching people, in terms of your comfort level? Do you like, like, what's a good size for you? Like, what do you like? Um, I guess I like, like, a intimate theater setting like 100 200 people feels like I can still be quiet (laughs) I mean it's very thrilling to get up in front of 70,000 people and just like you know go like just go for it just fucking go for it um but yeah I think that's probably my comfort my comfort zone is probably a couple hundred people like a so it feels like we're kind of doing something intimate. Yeah. Absolutely. When you did 70,000, was there a party that thought like, some of this is probably getting lost in, right? It's too big. It almost feels like it's too big. Yeah, it can feel that way for sure. I mean, it, especially, I mean, any outdoor show feels a little bit like that. Like the energy is just getting dispersed and you just, but it's also just, so I mean it's great to be on a stage that big with like a sound system that big and you know it's great it's a great feeling. how was how did that happen I, I didn't know the I didn't know the story I was just kind of curious how how that happened uh the the Fuji Rock thing is that the yeah. is that yeah um yeah my well when I was on Ryko Disc um they had an affiliate there and he was a fan and he got I mean the guy who ran the affiliate was a fan and he got me on the bill at Fuji Rock and they had me do like a little teaser like some teaser sets in between the main stage acts so it'd be like Sonic Youth and then I went up and played two songs and then the Foo Fighters it was nuts it was so nuts but it was so cool and they like announced the the announcer announced me in this like monster truck voice It it was just great (laughs) <laughs> what an exhilarating moment yeah for sure <laughs> are you um I know when people hear this album they don't understand that or maybe they do you've been sitting with it for a really long time and so I do find that a lot of artists they're they'd rather talk about the work that they're working on now because there's it's like this is old news to you so I imagine <laughs> that you must be have already started something yeah. <laughs> yeah, we started recording something new in February. Oh my god. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I've been writing a lot. And I also have like um I have a little Great American Songbook project that I sing with here where where I live in North Carolina, so we have something coming out in a few weeks. <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot Yeah, it, it is weird to sit on it and um you know, that was partly the pandemic and partly just trying to get business in order but um it's also nice to get like such a nice response to it like okay I guess it was you know (laughs) I wasn't crazy like a year ago when I finished this album it's like still still resonating with people does it feel like this is one of the most creative points in your life do you feel you're kind of on fire I do actually. Yeah, I do. Because, because, uh, yeah, I, I feel like I've got a lot to, I feel just, uh, I feel really strong. And for me, like, I feel like when I'm truly feeling strong, that's because I'm in a space where I'm expressing myself clearly. And that always ties into songwriting for me. Do and, you, uh, you know, okay, I'm sorry. No, please, please. Um, I feel like appreciative of all the experiences I've gone through and more able to sort of open myself up to learning new things musically now like I'm trying to write this whole new album in like alternate tunings and um not that I've never used an alternate tuning before but just to like challenge myself and see like well what other kind of sound and space can we create if I you know just go outside the box this way because I'm getting the sense that you're that you are at this incredibly prolific moment in your life, um, which I find terribly exciting. It's funny when you hit that, that groove, it's like, Oh, like so much. Yeah. Yeah. 
definitely it's it it's the best feeling when yeah. that's when that's your calling <laughs> yeah yeah I feel like when because I'm a writer if I write a poem or a sentence or finish a chapter I feel bulletproof for about eight minutes <laughs> right like don't, nobody can touch me for eight minutes <laughs> and then it's back to the drawing board <laughs> totally <laughs> yeah yep I know that feeling very well is the plan to, um, I saw you have a lot of dates coming up. So you're, is it going to be a, mostly in the South or, or is there like a, are you going to try to tour the, the country? Like how feasible is it to get on the road and stay on the road at this point? You know, I'm not really interested in like staying on the road. Yeah. Like, um, unless it, you know, I'm not totally close to it, but my sort of sweet spot would be like a week, a month or something. So I have some stuff, I guess, around North Carolina and Texas and the Midwest. And I think I'm actually coming out to California in May. Mm. I just started to talk to my agent about that. Um, and I'll be up in the Northeast in in the spring, I guess. Um, yeah, I, it's like, it feels more like a little treat now when I go on the road. I think it used to feel like, oh my God, I have to be out here all the time. And you know, I just have to take what I can get. I'm going to be tired and my body's going to be exhausted. And, but that's what I have to do to survive. And now it feels more like, okay, let's just like put a little more thought into like what we're, let's just like fewer dates, but really make them count, you know? And then, and then when I'm exhausted at the end, it's like, great. I wore myself out. Now I can go home and rest until the next time. (laughs) Right. Right. So it's like, it's like a really like a strategic it's more strategic than it was maybe 20 years. Yeah. 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 For for me, it feels that way. I love this record. I, I followed your career from the very beginning and I, I just love what you do. And I think it's so, it's so weird to say to someone like, this is your best record. Cause it feels, I love all your stuff, but I just feel like you've really just, you know, this is like next level for me. I just love it. Thank you so much. That means a lot. Thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. There you go. Jess Klein. She's the best. Love that conversation. And she, you know, I got to tell you, when Jess Klein laughs, she has such a great laugh. When she laughs, it feels like everything in the world is going to be okay. Her album also provides that same feeling. When We Rise is out now. Go get it. JessKlein.com. J-E-S-S-K-E-L-I-N.com. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, my new book is out. The Adventure Teen All-Stars, get it wherever you get books. Go to your local indie bookshop, and they will hook you up. Don't forget, Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, rate, and review, and tell all your friends. And you can follow me on what's left of Twitter, at Embers Editor, or on Instagram, at Embers Podcast, or just email me, editor, at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Don't forget to check out bombshellradio.com to find out what makes our radio station tick. And I think that's it. That's all I got. That's all the businessy stuff. It's all out of the way. Now we can play music and have some fun. So let's close the show with a longer listen to Never Gonna Break Me from Jess Klein's fabulous new album, When We Rise. Enjoy it. And thank you, as always, for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast only right here on Bombshell Radio. It probably started with that boy when I was 14 I let him touch me then he tried to bring me shame I laughed aloud with him, my tears went unseen But I learned to claim what's mine, including my
just what 